Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, as always, and I am finally getting ready to dig into some scripture. Now, obviously, we've looked at plenty of scripture um, through this uh, series in eschatology, but really only at a manner of uh, a few passages here and there. It hasn't been anything too in-depth in regards to um, like a whole in-depth study. So as I have promised, we are going to start uh, doing uh, eschatology through the Old Testament. We have wrapped up now the um, four main views, uh, which I hope you guys enjoyed those episodes. I have learned a lot from them. Uh, and then we looked at pagan eschatology, looking at like what are the world's views, uh, what are the cultural understandings of how does the world end. And then we looked at last week uh, the world religions, the uh, Islamic, the Buddhist, and the Hindus. What do they believe in eschatology? Uh, a lot of information in those couple of episodes. Um, so I hope that you took notes or we'll go back and listen to it another time or two. Uh, I enjoyed putting those episodes together. I learned a lot. It is quite crazy how much detail, how much information is just out there. And and again, this is not an extensive study. I mean, there are um, degrees, you know, devoted towards studying eschatology. Um, not that I necessarily would recommend it, but classes and that, sure, you know, take a class, get yourself familiar. I think it is highly important to understand. And, and as we dig into, um, this, these next few episodes, I think you will kind of get that grasp to how important eschatology really is. And it's not necessarily in the manner of, you know, 
oh, I'm a dispensational premillennialist, and that's my view. Um, I'm not targeting from that perspective. I'm looking at it from the meta narrative of Scripture. We're going to go from you know the beginning to the end. We're going to look at passages and how can we start to decipher, understand, uh, and put together the puzzle pieces for this uh, under you know this understanding of what it is the end of times that really actually entails. Obviously, the four views are fairly closely related in regards that you know God is going to end this current sinful world and then whether we believe you know you believe in the millennial reign or you believe in the rapture or you believe in a figurative millennial reign whatever that is whatever you know the eternity with christ understanding is um but we are going to hopefully unpack some of that in scripture and we're going to look at you know how some of these cultures had some influence uh, possibly as we get into like books in Daniel and uh, Ezekiel and and uh, so that is kind of the headway right we're going to start to dig into this um, series we're going to look at Old Testament uh, I don't know how extensive or how long the series is going to be um, there is a lot of text obviously that the Old Testament covers a lot of time frames a lot of history um, but I think we're going to look at just a couple of major um, points we're going to look at Genesis and then obviously we're going to look at Daniel we're going to look at Zechariah um, we'll probably get into a little bit on uh, some of the other pinpointed scripture that we can pull out of the uh, the Old Testament as well so we've got our hands full in the coming weeks and months. As always, know that uh, when we hit December, we are going to do a Christmas little uh, Christmas series just to kind of change the mood and get ourselves, uh, get our spirits lightened and, uh, you know, in, in anticipation for the birth of our Messiah that we celebrate every year. So that'll start in December. Uh, but the next couple of weeks, we are going to be looking heavily into Old Testament, and we are going to start digging through that text. So uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time housekeeping things, but um, obviously if you want to help support this ministry, we are uh, on Patreon. You can give as little as a dollar a month to get uh, into all of the things that I do. You can give more if that is your um, desire, but uh, you know we're... I, I open it up for as little as a dollar a month. That way, um, everybody can get a part of everything they want to be in, whether it's the Bible studies, the group chat, um, you get the podcast released a week early, and you know any other work, sermon notes, things like that, uh, show notes that I produce. Uh, you get access to all of that. So um, that's the big thing with the patron. The second thing, uh, obviously, is a big tool that I've been using through this and just not even you know not only in the podcast side but ministry as well as Logos Bible software so um, you can uh, use the link that I have which is logos.com forward slash undying light and get yourself um, a package of Logos Bible software at a discounted rate and that in my opinion is probably the best thing that I can offer for any person to no matter what their uh, 
what do you want to call it like your your work life if you're in ministry you're not in ministry um whatever it is that you do layman st- student teaching your children logos has all sorts of different um utilities and tools to help enhance that so and you can build your library over the course of the time that you have it and continue to use it it is a fantastic piece of software i absolutely love it so um and then obviously if you are interested uh, undying light does have merchandise we have shirts and sweatshirts for men and women we have um, hats and stocking caps and coffee mugs so you can check that out link is in the bio links to all of this the patron the logos and the merchandise are all in uh, the bio as well so uh, check that out, and if you are interested, grab yourself an Undying Light t-shirt or a sweatshirt. Uh, I am going to be getting myself a sweatshirt for the winter months because, uh, I mean, I love sweatshirts and uh, super comfortable, and I might as well rep my own brand, right? So that is the house cleaning. I'm not going to spend a ton of time, like I said, but because I really uh, want to start digging into some of this material. Now... I don't know uh, in regards to how long these episodes are going to be. In the past, we've set the, the, the point at about 45 minutes. Some have gone longer. Some have been a little bit shorter, but most of them have hit uh, that 45 or longer minute mark. Um, to dig into these texts, uh, we may only come up to 30 minutes uh, on some of these episodes. I mean, as I'm just kind of tooting here along i'm at nine minutes but um we may only do 20 or 25 minutes of material it uh, very well may be a short quote-unquote episode Um, but i will do whatever i can obviously to uh not overwhelm you but give you enough that your uh that you get you know a good solid episode but just to bear witness that as we get into some of these um, i may shorten some and then expand some others depending on where we are in the uh, scope of the um, context of you know the Old Testament. So, so let's uh, let's start at the very beginning because I can't figure out a better place to start than at the very beginning. We don't want to start eschatology or our dig into Scripture with the Book of Revelation because we would be neglecting you know, 65 previous books and we would be neglecting a lot of other scripture that talks about the end of times. But what do I mean by the beginning? Well, obviously I'm going to go to the very beginning. I'm going to look at Genesis because I think it helps to play this, this out, right? Uh, to understand that from the very beginning, this eschatological understanding was already being put into motion now what we can understand is that you know it's not necessarily god saying i'm going to create the heavens and the earth oh and then in a couple of centuries a couple thousand years a couple millennia i'm just going to wipe it all we're going to you know and then we'll all of my people will enjoy eternity that isn't the view we should take um it's hard sometimes to just look at scripture and say, you know, well, why didn't God just wipe away Adam and Eve and 
to new humans down. While there's obviously a lot of speculation, there's a lot of understanding that comes to uh, our minds and trying to formulate why is it that God allowed Adam and Eve to continue their existence. And we can start to um, argue all of these different perspectives. You know, and even if we start to think about um, how and why that is still there, we can't help but escape the mind that the end of times becomes a factor in this. Well, if Adam and Eve are gone, then that's that's a, a very small fraction of the end of times, but it's still there. So why do we look at the very beginning? Well, I mean, obviously we can race right towards Revelation. Uh, we can stop along and Daniel or Matthew even. Matthew's got a lot of good text. Uh, there's some text in Mark. You know, all the Gospels, obviously, because they all reflected some nature of Jesus' words. Um, and and often what we understand, too, obviously, is that eschatology is the study of the end of things, the end of times. Uh, we've made that very clear from the very beginning of this series. So, um, But this really starts to narrow just the events right the this is like um if we go back to the dispensational episode this is going through all of the bulls and the scrolls being opened and all of the judgments of god being poured out on to mankind that's what a lot of people want to uh really think about in regards to the end of times but eschatology is really more or less focused on the coming of Christ. That is the that is what the Christian view and understanding of the second or of eschatology is. This is the second coming of Christ. Now, whether we want to argue a rapture or the millennial millennial reign or any other things, um, that's a different argument. But what we should primarily focus on is the second coming of Christ. So, why do we look forward? to the second coming of Christ. Well, we can go all the way back to the garden when the first promise of a Savior was given in Genesis 3.15. That is the first time Adam and Eve are told to look forward. And that's really what eschatology is. It's a look forward to an anticipation of something greater. Now, we already know that Christ came one time. And the amillennial view is going to argue that we are just waiting now for Christ to take his church home. Other views are waiting for a rapture um, or for a specific event to take place or in some cases man to unfold the church and allow the, you know, allow the end of times to kick off at that perspective. So as we dig into this episode today, uh, I want to take a little bit different point, a little bit different starting point than what I would assume most people have done in the past. Um, because again, a lot of this is open to interpretation. Uh, there is no real clear set doctrine that we are given that, uh, is, you know, the formulated a plus B equals C. And that's why we get a lot of different views in eschatology. And that's fine. You know, your particular cup of tea 
is different than mine or mine vice versa. It really just boils down to what is, you know, the hermeneutics of the reader when it comes to scripture. That's what we really talked about a lot on the um, amillennialist episode. So, like I said, I want to go back to the garden. I want to look at the uh, eschatology that is in creation. And we're going to look at a couple verses today. We're going to look at Genesis 1, 26 through 27, and as well, uh, 28. So, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the flesh of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God, he created him man and female. He created them. And then verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God creates a permanent order of creation and but he also intended for development in which man will play a central role. Unfortunately, we all know that Adam falls into sin. Adam being a type of Christ, which is a, uh, if you don't understand typology, I highly recommend it. I might do a small series on typology at some time. I'm not far from an expert, but um, I have been doing a little bit of studying on it. But it is good to know that Adam essentially is a type of Christ to come. Uh, He was the first created Christ wasn't obviously created, but uh, Adam was our, you know, the the he was supposed to be the perfect man and woman, Adam and Eve, and he was supposed to live in obedience to God's word, and he failed. Whereas Christ came, in uh, born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, lived and died obedient to God's perfect law and so adam was a type of christ but a different topic for a different show so we know that adam falls into sin and then christ comes as the last adam to achieve dominion and we see that showed out in first corinthians 15 and ephesians chapter 1 verses 21 and 22 so made in the image of of God. Humanity is called to rule over the land. He's, they're called to rule over the seas, the air, all of the be- beasts on the earth. They have rule and dominion over them. And in Genesis 2, this takes on uh, twin functions, right? Now, not only are they to rule over the world, you know, all the beasts of the world, they are now to cultivate and garden and take care of what God has given them. Uh, And then we also see that they are uh, given the privilege to name all of the animals, as we see in verse 18. Uh, The first function is a relationship uh, between man and and earth, and the second is the man's interaction with the animals. So along the way, God is telling Adam that he is incapable of performing these functions himself. Adam needs a helper. Adam can't do this alone. And so God gives him 
a partner. God gives him Eve. And what we see is Adam and Eve given dominion over heaven and earth. And they are told to name the beast. They're told to cultivate the garden and care for it all. So as Adam is given this rule, his this order from God, he's told to um, be fruitful and multiply, to enjoy the pleasures of marriage, and basically take care of all of the animals, the garden, and all this. Uh, there is an argument, I'm going to side note, sidetrack a thought, there is this argument um, that the garden was only really the beginning of God's initial creation on earth. And this argument, and again, this is purely speculative, so don't send me hate mail. But it's it's interesting to, as I've read through some of this stuff. Um, in this chaotic world, the garden was the only place of peace and solemn that God has. Everything else outside of the garden is untamed and you know we don't really know we don't get much picture uh until the casting out and then it seems like you know the the rest of the world is kind of as it is and but in the garden is god's peace and that's his order and but yet adam is still given dominion over the animals in the garden and over the plants to take care of and so what we see is adam is bringing some order to this can call it created chaos you know bringing these animals in and adam is doing all of this work and we don't have a time frame of how much time is passed between adam being created and being cast out of the garden we don't know you know it could it could be a, a long long time but again as i said a lot of it is speculative but there's this thought that the garden is you know this only spot that has god's presence in it and then, like, the rest of the world is just in mad chaos with, you know, no order, no rule, nothing like that. So, in a sense, this can be a eschatological understanding. This is a view of, you know, creating or bringing order to chaos. So, and what we should also know, too, is that in Genesis 1 and 2, it says that God does not create a chaotic world. Um, but another, but neither does it say that he creates a completed one. So the focus of Genesis one and two is this garden. It's this is the setting uh, of this story. There is, you know, we don't know what's beyond the Garden of Eden, and that's okay because in most cases we don't need to know. But what we do know is Earth's total population, with Adam, stands at one, and when he gives. Uh, when God gives Adam the helper, we now have two. And we do know that God has given Adam all of the tools necessary to do and com- uh, the things that he was commanded to do, to cultivate the ground, to take care of the garden, to take care of the beasts. So in front of Adam lays this created world of endless possibilities and potential God gives him this commission. He also gives Adam a companion and a commitment that as long as he eats of the tree of life and avoids the tree of knowledge of good and evil, that he will live. 
So under this rule, this is Adam's eyesight, right? This is, this is what he's given. He knows nothing else. He has no understanding of anything outside of the garden. He has no understanding of anything, you know, um, created elsewhere. He is simply obedient to God. He's obedient to the command. And that is, um, that is his, his purpose. In this way, Adam's life was eschatological. And in a sense, he is to cultivate and continue to bring order to what God has commanded. So when we get to the fall in Genesis 3, uh, we get to start seeing some things start to unfold here, um, in, in Adam's life at least, and we start to see God's plan, in fact, unfold. So from the beginning, God has in mind that he will see that you know this planet will become populated by children made in his own image. This world will be cultivated and kept by uh, Adam and Eve as the you know parents overall. And they will continue to work and subdue the ground. But we also know that sin happens. And we know that that is not a disruption, though, of God's plan. Sin did not disrupt what God had originally entailed. Because all things that God has originally entailed are simply to bring him glory. So whether it's to have a world populated with image bearers that are working in the garden and, and living in fellowship with each other or worshiping him brings him glory. Or if it's through the fall where God is promising Adam a savior, one to come, then God will continue to bring glory through Adam's line. So before the first child is born, before the post the first post-Edic civilization is plotted. Adam and Eve conspire to overthrow God, in a sense, right? They're disobeying him. They think that they can um, be like him. And so why can't they be like him? There's this tree of knowledge of good and evil, and the serpent comes into the garden and deceives Adam. Now the text does say that Eve ate first, but because Adam was complacent and allowed it to happen, and then turns around and blames Eve for it, the fault is ultimately Adam's. So in the beginning, Eden is basically ended, but eschatology will continue on. Even with the sin's effects coursing now through creation, God has intended to bring his creation to completion. And by completion, what we mean is not... You know, trees to stop growing, they've reached their full height and plants to stop growing. What we mean is that God will see through his redemptive plan that he promised Adam and Eve. And he will deliver a savior and then that savior will then come again and bring his church home. So the creation is, or the new creation is the goal. Just as it is from the beginning, uh, God's goal is not to return to Eden. God's goal is for new heavens and new earth. To be filled not with just men and image, men and women made in the image of Adam and Eve, but rather a new creation that will be established by Christ, the last Adam. And this new heaven and new earth will be filled with Christ image bearers. That 
is the promise that we are getting out of the garden. That is what we see when we start to unpack the eschatological understanding of Genesis 1, 2, and 3. So indeed, without really going further in Genesis 1, we see that God's intention from the beginning is in fact the end. God did not just create the world with Genesis 3 in mind. He created the world with Revelation 21 and 22 in mind. From the beginning, Zion has been the goal, not Eden. And so we can even say that before sin enters the world, before the serpent deceives Adam and Eve, long before that, you can probably even argue before the creation of the known universe, there was the kingdom of Christ in mind. In making Adam in the image of his son, he was laying the groundwork for his son to come. In creating Eden on a hillside at the foot of his residence, God was imprinting on creation the patterns necessary to bring about a new creation. Even before Adam ate the fruit that brought misery to millions and now billions of people, God made him with flesh and blood so that his offspring could come and shed his blood for the multitudes of his bride. And so it's interesting how we start to put these pieces of this puzzle together. Adam is created in the flesh. Christ comes in the flesh. In Genesis 3, an animal is sacrificed. A blood atonement is given for uh, God to show his mercy to Adam and Eve when he could have simply wiped them clean and started fresh. But sin had already entered the world. Dece- you know, being uh, deceiving uh, each other and lying to each other and lying to God was only just the beginning of that. But God being merciful sacrifices an animal to clothe Adam and Eve because now they realize that they were in fact naked. And so this first sacrifice is another foreshadowing it's a type of the ultimate sacrifice that christ will give on the cross to shed his blood for his people so from the beginning eschatology is at the center of all creation and even after the fall god through another man is going to bring about a new creation and not just any man but his begotten son christ our lord god the son in the flesh who by the way does not fail like adam failed so this understanding of genesis 1 2 and 3 should start to rethink the way we think about the bible and it's fascinating when we start to really study the 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 creation account because it shouldn't just be <sighs> genesis 1 1 in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. No. What we should see is God's beautiful, redemptive plan. Even though we see two chapters where sin doesn't exist, we can look back and say that God is a God of plan. He is a God of uh, mercy. And he is going to bring about what he has originally put forward. And that is a perfect unison between his creation and himself. So this should give us a different perspective on how we read the Bible. 
should give us a different perspective on how we understand theology and really the world around us. First, when we come to the Bible, we see how everything is happening as God has intended. This isn't just a matter of choice. It's not a matter of uh, mishap. It's not, you know, something happening outside of God's knowledge. God is the one who sits in the heaven and does as he pleases on earth, as Psalm 115 tells us. For him, there is no contingency plan. There is no plan B, C, D. There's not a backup. There's not a restore. God is doing the work he has intended to do from the cre- from the very beginning of creation. Christ is that goal. Christ is our eschatological point. He is the whole premise to all of this. No other, you know, all the views and all that, that's great. But Christ is the center of it all. This is true even after the fall. It's true before the fall. Creation was made for Christ. Second, when we start to understand the theological understandings of eschatology from the back of the systematic book to the fronts of them, what we should start to look and say is this has massive implications on the way we understand scripture if we start to read scripture through this plan of creation fall redemption and new creation that is the eschatological intention when we start to look at it in this dimension when we start to understand that god has had the end in mind when he was doing the beginning when he was creating the beginning then it changes the way we we look at scripture shouldn't it shouldn't it really put the emphasis on the fact that god knew the end in mind when he planted adam and eve in the garden now it's better sometimes obviously think about the end of creation right revelations 21 and 22 um more so than we do the beginning because here we are you know however many you know, if you're a young earth creation, 6,000 plus years after creation, if you're an old earth person, however many years you would account to that, we we think we're on the ending platform. And, and, and in some cases we are, right? Because Christ has already come once, he's died, he's ascended to heaven, and now we're just waiting for the church to finally be completed. But it's also good to understand how this has how the beginning has an impact on all of this. And third, when we consider our place in the world, as I was starting to allude to, we should remember that our calling as image bearers is to bring order to chaos. Sin is rampant everywhere. I'm a sinner, and you listening to this, you're a sinner too. And the beauty of it all is that Christ forgives us of our sin. That sin was hung on the cross with him. That sin was washed away. We are new creations. We are image bearers. So even if we willingly stumble into sin, Christ forgives us. But through that, this should give us the mouthpiece to scream to the world that Christ is our only hope for salvation. Now, I had a conversation with a few people and... uh, uh, at a conference a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about a quote that Luther wrote because I think that fits very well in this in this dynamic now. 
It's not necessarily, you know, about going out into the world, right, and, and shouting and staying on the street corners preaching, um, or if you have a certain vocation that you, you know, you you plant crosses everywhere because to share the gospel, right? It's it's takes time a lot of cases because you're not just going to be able to go around to strangers. At least I can't. I don't know many people who do, but some have that ability to just go up to strangers and do it. And that's great. I don't have that ability, but Luther wrote this really interesting quote that focusing on the, on a shoemaker, if your vocation is a shoemaker, you're not to plant little crosses on the shoes. You are to make those shoes to the best of your ability. Because all of that is to glorify God. Because in your vocation, you are to continue to share the gospel, to glorify God, because that's our purpose. So whether we are shoemakers or we work in IT as I do, whatever it is that we do, bring glory to God by your work. And your attitude will be why people are going, how is he so joyous all the time? How can he find pleasure in doing a work that's, you know, most people would probably frown upon. So in this calling, we naturally find ourselves running into all sorts of frustrations, right? These frustrations cause us not uh, to cause us to potentially pull back from this mandate to go into the, into the world and share the gospel. That's what Jesus told us in Matthew 28. Um, But really, as we understand the created order, as we look back at the command that God gave Adam to cultivate the garden, to care for the world, this should remind us of our vocations and our work, our duty that God has called us to do. We're not going to be perfect by any means at it. And we are going to probably stumble and fall just like Adam did. But we know now that we have a better Adam. We have Christ. And that is beautiful. And so whether we are waiting for, if you're a dispensational, if you're waiting for the rapture, whether you're waiting for whatever event to unfold, take heart and complete the work that God has given to you. There is an end potentially coming. Not potentially, but there is at some point. We don't know when, but it's coming. Uh, and and it will remove the sin. It will remove the chaos. It will remove the suffering and the meaningless work that we do. All of the sin will be washed away. And we will be able to enjoy eternal bliss with the perfect king, the new Adam, that is Christ, who was raised from the dead after being hung on a cross. I I can't think of a better way to really start this whole series than just going through Genesis like that. I mean, that just totally is just, it makes it so much better. At the very beginning, we know it is all going to end, but only better. It's not going to be just this little bitty garden that God has created. We don't, again, don't know the dimensions of it, but in this garden, it's going to be new heavens and new earth. And it's not going to be just, you know, image bearers with like Adam, but it's going to be Christ image bearers that Christ has called us. We are a new creation. We are new creatures in Christ created to do good works. And we get to 
live this vision out in our current lives today. We have the ability to share the gospel going forward. And so I highly stress, highly recommend that you take time and you study the Genesis account, the creation account, read Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and look at how God has given these commands to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. Cultivate the earth to care for the animals. And similarly, these commands are given to us now. Because as soon as Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, what did they do? They had to continue toiling away. But God cursed the ground. And so we have to understand that our work is going to be painful. Our work is going to a lot of times seem meaningless. But to share the gospel now, because God has continued to unfold his redemptive plan and he brought about his promise from Genesis 3.15 in Christ. And now we have the ability to share that with everybody. And we now have the ability to take that forward into the world. And so whatever your vocation is, share Christ. Work and bring glory to God. And so that's where I think we are going to wrap this particular show. Like I said, some of these might be a little bit shorter in terms of the content that I'm going to bring. But I think where we are at is a good starting point, a good jumping off point. Obviously, we're not going to go through all of Genesis. We're not going to go through Exodus. And we're not going to go through the whole Old Testament. But what we are going to do is pull out some key points. We're going to look at hopefully a range of understandings and bring about what does uh, the, the Israelites, what do the Hebrews think as the end of times is going to look, right? Because here's the thing we have to understand. Adam may have heard this promise given to him in Genesis 3.15, but he doesn't know that Christ is that promise. He doesn't know that, you know, in so many thousands of years that this son is going to be born of a virgin who is going to be a descendant all the way back to him. I mean, he God gives him the promise that his offspring will, but Adam really doesn't probably doesn't have much of an understanding of that point. Again, we can't really draw a range of Adam's intelligence. Again, we'd be speculating. But what we have to look at is we have to understand the scripture through their eyes. What were they thinking when God told them this promise? And that's what we're going to encounter as we see in the Old Testament. They don't know Christ. They don't have this redeemed Savior. And so they're always going to be looking forward to something. There's always going to be something greater to come. This is the promise, the greater thing to come. And so that is what we will see uh, as the Old Testament eschatological foundation starts to unpack itself for us is there will always be a greater something coming. And then when we get to Christ, that is the greater thing to come. So very excited for this journey. I hope you are too. And we will see where the spirit of God leads us because I have a couple different paths that I think I can go down this. And uh, I'm very curious to see where he's going to lead. Um, So until next week, ladies and gentlemen, 
Hope you guys have a blessed week, and I will catch you all later. sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.